A uh, warm welcome to you. Uh, if you've joined us, uh, my name is Paul, and again with Chantelle and a number of others, we have this joy and privilege of leading this uh, band of merry men and women uh, called Carrot Vineyard Church. It's just such a thrill and joy to be together this morning. And I don't know what Easter's like for you or what you kind of think about during Easter, but I, I've often, you know, you have Good Friday, and we were thrilled we had 60 people at our Good Friday uh, service down in our venue. It was rammed. It was just such a great opportunity to gather together and, and uh, remember what he did and share in communion with one another. But I don't know, you know, during the course of the weekend, you know, there's Friday, then there's that Saturday, that lull time before you get to Resurrection Day. And I just often have thought, what on earth were the disciples feeling? What on earth was Mary and Mary and probably a few more Marys, you know, what were they all feeling and thinking inside during that weekend of utter, utter devastation and loss? Their loved one, their savior, has gone and died on them. And even though he preempted them, even though he told them <laughs> point blank, he was going to die, and three days later, he's going to rise again. Just that sense of loss, and yet resurrection day comes, Sunday comes. The stone is rolled away. He is alive. And it's because of his death and his resurrection that we are here today. It's because of what he's done for us, paid for us, won for us that we get to experience new life in him. And yet, the cross of Jesus, in some ways, is enough. The resurrection is enough to set us free and to forgive us of our sins and book our ticket to heaven. In some ways, that's enough. But what I want to talk about this morning isn't just resurrection and new life in him, but it's restoration, a transformed life. You see, Jesus came to forgive us and set us free of our sins, but he also came to restore us, that we would become the very person that we were intended to be. Because the reality is for many people, who walk the face of this earth, never get to the place that they were intended to be. When we were formed in our mother's womb and he dreamt over us and he saw the very God-given destiny and design that we were created for, because of this dark world that we live in, and because of things that happen in our lives and because of choices that we make, Unless we surrender our all, unless we surrender ourselves to Jesus, we will not become the person we were meant to be. But the good news, the great news is, because of what he's done, we have the opportunity to be restored and to become the very person we were meant to be. I want to share with you a story. I did this only a couple of years ago. So if you were there, uh, you're going to know this off by heart. And uh, you're going to go, oh, he's going on about that same story again. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. We find it at the very end of John. It's John chapter 21. 
and it's only recorded in John. The other three lads, for whatever reason, decided not to put the story in. But it's a brilliant story, and the reason being is it speaks so much to me and my life. And it's the story of how Jesus restores Peter. And he restores that broken relationship between Jesus and between Peter. And so we pick it up. We're in John uh, 21, verse 1. And it goes like this. Jesus appeared again to his disciples. He's He's already appeared to them twice before. And he's told them, we find this in Matthew 28, he's told them, go ahead to Galilee. Now, you've got to think of the geography here. We're down in Jerusalem. He's appeared to them twice, and he says, go back up north. Go north and in Galilee, and I'll see you again. So this is the third appearance. He appears to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, And two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. The disciples' world has fallen apart in many ways. Jesus has died and all their hopes and dreams have kind of gone with it, been shattered with it. Peter more so than the others. Because if you remember the story, Peter says to Jesus, I will go with you. I will do whatever it takes. I will follow you wherever I need to go. And Jesus says to him, you are going to deny me three times before the cock crows. And that's exactly what happened. Peter had let Jesus down big time. And during that weekend, during that first Easter weekend, Peter has been living in this place of great sadness and deep, deep regret. The disciples go north and they have gone back to where many of them as fishermen came from. The Sea of Galilee is where they would have done their work. They would have got into fishing boats as many of them were fishermen and they went fishing. Now, We don't know the exact motivation why Peter decided to go fishing. But I can imagine Peter said it like this. I'm going fishing. In that tone. And because he was the leader, and because he was the rock, that was his destiny. Because he was the rock that Jesus was going to build his church upon, that the other disciples say, We've got nothing better else to do. We'll go with you. Now, we can't know for a fact the exact motivation why Peter says what he says. But I just wonder, and this is wondering, I just wonder if there's a sense of going back to what he knows best. His world has fallen apart. He doesn't know what to do with himself. Something's happened. And he goes back to what he knows best. I was thinking about this for many of us. What do we do when life goes pear-shaped? When something happens? When we do something? What do we do? Where do we go? For many of us, and we've seen this in our lives, and we've seen this in other people's lives, we take steps back. 
And it's like, why? Why do we do that? That verse in Galatians, you were running such a good race. Who cut in on you? What was it that happened that stole? Why have you allowed the enemy to gain ground here? And Peter decides, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what I know. As I was thinking about this and pondering this, I thought of the phrase from the game of Monopoly. You know the game? You pick up the old community chest or the chance card or whatever, and all you want to see is advance to Mayfair, but it says go back to Old Kent Road. And so here is a story. They've gone back to Old Kent Road. They go fishing, and it's a, such a reflection. It's like a mirror image with what we hear the story in Luke chapter 5. These fishermen, they go out fishing, they fish all night, and they come back with nothing. I just love it. They've gone fishing, and they've caught absolutely nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. You've got to love it. Now, again, we don't know this for sure, but this is a, I'm just wondering, interpretation. Jesus' sense of humor. He's standing on the side, and he sees this boat coming into shore. The lads have been out all night long fishing, and he asks them the question, friends, haven't you any fish? He knows fine rightly they've caught nothing. He knows. He, he just knows. Haven't you any fish? Jesus instructed and success came. He says, go cast your nets on the other side and you'll find some fish. This is exactly the same as in Luke chapter 5. Exactly the same thing that happened. Stick the nets on the other side, lads. You'll go find some fish. Deja vu. Rodney. It's like, duh, we've been here before, haven't we? We went out and we caught absolutely nothing. Cast your nets on the other side. Jesus instructed and success came. And the thing is this, very often in life we try and force things, don't we? We try and make things happen. We have our own desires, we have our own thoughts, we have our own strong will that we want to do this and we want to do that. And yet it's so important that we commit his ways, that they become our ways to the Lord. Unless we do it on our own strength, we're going to catch nothing. But if we listen to the voice of the Lord that says, hey guys, put your nets over here, you catch some success and favor. Success is probably a worldly word favor comes but we must listen to his voice and then obey his 
leading. When Peter sees the Lord, he does the most extraordinary things to get to him. Remember the time when he's out on a boat in the sea and he sees the Lord? He begins to walk on water. And very similar again here. He sees the Lord with his eyes. He realizes and he recognizes that it's him. And he does extraordinary things. Puts his outer clothing on, jumps in the water because he wants to get to Jesus. And the thing is in life, again, we can, we can meander through life and we can do this and we can do that. But when we see Jesus and we hear him, we are invited to do extraordinary things, to go and be with Jesus where he is and where he is at work. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about about 100 meters. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. The catch was abundant. And John notes in here elements like fire and fish and Uh, water and bread and these elements, these things which Jesus had used in the hands of the disciples to feed the 5,000. Here, come. Come have breakfast. Come and have a meal with me. Why? Because he desires relationship. Because he wants us to be with him. And here he was, again, revealing himself to the disciples in this place. Why? Because he wants to have relationship with him. And he invites them. Come and have breakfast. Come and eat together with us, with me. But he's come deliberately with one conversation that Jesus knows he needs to have. And he needs to have this conversation with Peter, not for Jesus' sake, but for Peter's sake. Peter's design and destiny for his life was to build the church. That Jesus would build the church, his church, his bride, upon the life of Peter. Peter was pretty important in the deal. But I dare say he could have chosen someone else. Jesus is so kind. He's so kind that he had this conversation with Peter. And it went like this. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, did the same with the fish. This was now the third time he'd appeared to the disciples. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I know that John notes here that Peter was hurt, but actually Jesus is so kind. He's so kind. He knows that he needs to have this conversation. Three times Jesus, Peter denied Jesus. And three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Jesus, of course, knows that Peter loves him. Of course he knows. Of course he does. Jesus is so kind because he knew what needed to happen. Peter needed to be restored. That broken relationship needed to be restored. Today we celebrate Resurrection Day. We celebrate new life. We celebrate him coming again. And it's absolutely wonderful. I've had uh, the privilege on uh, two or three occasions where I've been with someone in their last hours of life, physical life. And I've had the privilege of being able to uh, lead them to the Lord in that moment, in those last moments. And they've prayed, prayed the prayer. And in that moment, they're at that mo that's it, forgiven. And I have no doubt, no doubt, go back to the Friday story. One of the two criminals who was crucified beside them. Today you'll be with me in paradise, Jesus says. In those dying moments, his grace, his mercy, his kindness that leads us to repentance. And I've had that privilege. It's been wonderful to be able to do that. Today, Jesus gives us the invitation, come follow me. Come follow me. I make you fisher of men. But it isn't just about having our sins set free and forgiven, although that is absolutely glorious and wonderful. It isn't just about booking our ticket. It's about allowing the presence of Jesus to transform us from the inside out, to restore us and to set us free. And so the question is obvious. What are the areas in our lives that we need restored? What is the brokenness? What is the, the thing or things that we need Jesus to restore us? And as I say that, I see many of you beginning to squirm and beginning to put the eyes down. And I understand and I know why. Because I've been there too. So often the thing that needs restored is shrouded and covered in shame. It's covered with guilt. It's covered with me. It's covered with... And I want to say this morning, be restored. Be set free. It's not about you. It's all about him. And it's not about what you can do. It's what he can do in you. And it just needs a posture that simply says, yes, Lord, okay, have your way. I'm done 
trying to live my life the way I want to live it. I surrender all to you. How does Peter fulfill his design and destiny? How is he fully restored? He accepts the love of Jesus. He accepts his invitation. And we read in these things, the last few verses, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. That first bit is simply that many years later, Peter died a horrific death himself. He died upon a cross himself in an X-shaped cross. Along with many other disciples, not at the same time, who were also lost their lives for the sake of Jesus as well. It's the last two words I want to focus on. Peter was the rock that Jesus built his church on. He was the fisher of men. How did he do this? Because he accepted Jesus' invitation that simply says, follow me. Some of us here, many of us, I'm, I'm, uh, we just feel stuck. We just feel stuck. Life's ticking by. Things are happening. Graciously and lovingly, I want to say this. I can't do it for you. We can't do it for you. Only Jesus can do it for you. Only him. As you accept his invitation to follow him. Follow him wherever he leads you. The only thing we can do in all that is just simply surrender our yes. It just says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And that's it.